Before I start, I want to just um, recognize that um, I just wanted to acknowledge uh, Bell Hook's passing earlier this week. Um, she was an amazing person, writer, activist, and she was also uh, kind of my entree into formal into Buddhism. I'd been trying to meditate for a while, but I read something she wrote. 25 plus years ago in Lion's Roar Buddhist magazine. Actually, I read it in another magazine and then I sought her out. And um, so she passed away earlier this week. So she kind of was a part of my way in. And what I want to do is just read a couple of quotes from her that I find so important. And I, I use them a lot, especially when I'm talking about an undefended heart, which is kind of how I like to see the world or frame practice. Um, and she says, when we choose to love, we choose to move against fear, against alienation and separation. The choice to love is a choice to connect, to find ourselves in the other. When we drop fear, we can draw nearer to people we can draw nearer to the earth. We can draw nearer to all the heavenly creatures that surround us. Some powerful words about choosing love and choosing to drop fear. Not always easy, but ever so important. So I just wanted to lift that up. Thank you. And what my topic for tonight is, is around intentions, because it's that time of the year, it's the end of the year, and people oftentimes do New Year's resolutions for, you know, um, fixing themselves, to, to use a term, um, making, you know, making changes in their lives so that they're better people or they look better or whatever, or healthier. Um, most of the time it's, it's fine. Most of the time they're harmless. Most of the time, in fact, it's, it's almost a joke that people make New Year's resolutions and the joke almost do bets on how long it's going to last because sometimes they can seem, um, I think sometimes they're disconnected with if we're doing a behavior that's not healthy or not doing something that's beneficial and we just set a re make a resolution, we lose, we lose uh, touch with what's really underneath it and what's causing the, the, the unwise behavior or the doing the stuff that's not beneficial. Um, so it's also a very reflective time of year. Um, we're in the darkness um, the solstice is next week, and so that's often the time of moving towards the light again. A lot of the, a lot of the holidays around now uh, use lights as an acknowledgement of that, um, that consideration, that awareness of, of that time. So um, what I wanted to do is talk about intentions, but not resolutions, but intentions more in the Buddhist sense. And... Uh, I'm doing on New Year's Eve a New Year's Eve intention setting, and I've been doing that, participating in them for 
a long time. I think 2006, 2005 or six was the first one I ever attended and it was really powerful. But it's intention as opposed to resolution. And uh, because as I said, intention is oftentimes we, we, or excuse me, resolution is I'm going to be better. I'm going to lose 20 pounds. I'm going to go to the gym five times a week. I'm going to read a book every other day. I'm going to, I'm going to do all these things that we set ourselves up. And I don't know if I ever kept a resolution that I ever made because they were so outlandish. I had this, this, this craving to be better on the outside, or I thought if I did that, then life would be better. And so it's really externally focused in some ways, trying to achieve something out there that will make me feel better in here. And so instead, um, I think what is more beneficial is to reflect on, um, on kind of the, I think the teaching of the Buddha is a, is a way to begin to reflect on this. And his teaching, bottom line, was very simple. He taught the nature of suffering and the end of suffering. And so what intention is, is I think can be a reflection on what's troublesome in my life? What's troublesome for me? And how do I move towards in a direction that takes me away from what causes that discomfort, what causes that trouble, or what that causes that pain. Um, and oftentimes there is, there is a phrase that we hear a lot saying that the road to hell is paved with good intentions, but that's not a Buddhist concept. In fact, Hanasaro Bhikkhu, who's a monk outside of San Diego, often called Tan Jeff, wrote a, wrote a piece called The Road to Nirvana is Paved with Skillful Intentions. And so skillful as opposed to good. And what he suggests is that skillful intentions are those that will, good, good, that will give good results, positive results, beneficial results, wholesome results in order to use a, in, in use, to use a Buddhist term. Um, it's not that the intentions are good, but the, what's behind them, you know, what's the intention behind the intention, so to speak. It's like, you know, going to the gym may be a, a beneficial intention or resolution, but what's underneath it? It's so I can look good, so I can be powerful, so I can build up muscles so that you'll like me, so that I'll fit into this nonsensical idea of the perfect body or whatever it is. Or am I going because I feel that it would benefit me and I'm starting to get aches and pains and maybe this would be helpful in some way, shape or form. So hopefully that there's a distinction that you can uh, get there that I made clearly enough. It's like what's underneath what we're doing. Um, and the reason um, I want to talk about intentions, there's... I want to talk about intentions with a different kind of framework as well. Buddhism offers a lot of different lenses um, and containers to hold this practice. There's the Eightfold Path and the Four Noble Truths. But one other teaching that I absolutely love is the paramis. And what the paramis are is this list of 10 qualities that are suggested we work with in order to, or that are necessary in order to uh, become enlightened. They're not 
a pa- they're not a teaching that the Buddha gave in any of the suttas. He didn't sit there and say, here are the ten, ten qualities you need to develop. But he did talk about these qualities in various ways, and, and they were kind of uh, put in a list form later. And just, just to acknowledge that um, there are so many different lineages and so many different schools in Buddhism, and in Theravada, which is what I'm teaching, the or older Buddhism um, uh, early Buddhism and the lineage of the elders, there are 10 of these paramis. And Mahayana, later school, there are six of them, and they're called paramitas. You don't need to know that, but I just wanted to acknowledge that in case you see somewhere. It's like, why is it six instead of 10? So, um, so this is a really useful framework, I find, to craft an intention to move forward. It's a way to develop what we might need in order to walk away from suffering. Um, And it's really good because you don't have to be a monastic. You don't have to to go through any kind of gyrations. These are um, something that, these are qualities that we can all work on. In fact, Tan Jeff, um, the monk, says they're a useful framework for developing a fruitful attitude towards daily activity. So they're a, this useful framework. So what are they? As I keep talking about them. Generosity. And you've heard these all before. Generosity, um, virtue, sila, ethical behavior. Renunciation, letting go of what doesn't serve. Wisdom, seeing things clearly. Energy, this, this, this willingness, this effort to keep doing it, doing the practice. Um, letting go of what doesn't serve. Truthfulness, speaks for itself. Determination, that staying the course. Loving kindness and equanimity. You know, really, really powerful. Equanimity is the last of many, many lists. It's that place we want to get to, that ability to be with life as it unfolds. And um, these help to develop uh, wisdom and compassion. This, this, this two, the two factors of a wise heart that's necessary to end suffering. And Sylvia Borstein has written a book called I'm glad I wrote it down because I never remember it. It's called Pay Attention for Goodness Sake. And she wrote this about the paramis. And she calls them the natural inclinations of the human heart. They're the natural inclination of the human heart that when we are stripped of our greed, when we're stripped of our aversion, our hatred, our anger, our, when we're, you know, clear the dust out of our eyes and there's no more delusion, then these are qualities that naturally arise. Um, But because we have been so conditioned and we can be so trapped in our in our, our fixed views of of seeing the world in a certain way that we sometimes need to support these qualities, support their growth um, just as we do with loving kindness, with the loving kindness and, and compassion and joy practices, um, it needs a little support to get us moving in that direction. So these paramis are a container to hold our intentions. And they're not linear in that you have to start with generosity and get really good at being generous before you move on to, to ethical behavior. They kind of 
it's it's another it's another way to look at them and go and say start where you are what may be causing the most discomfort at this point in time you know speaking of patience some of us may be very patient we have we can sit with you know annoyances and not get you know bent out of shape um, there's a lot of there's a most of us are in LA um, and there's a hell of a lot of traffic again all of a sudden it's like it's worse it seems than before the pandemic there was the pandemic you know when the heart of the pandemic when there was nobody on the road and it seems to have just kind of gone into hiding and multiplied and come out again um, so patience is, is required is necessary um, so some of us have a lot of patience but perhaps we're selfish or it's difficult for us to be generous um, and so what we when we look at these qualities it's not about um, being good but it's about seeing where when these qualities are present or when they're not present and if they're not present um, or if they're if this particular thing is causing us discomfort or su suffering or um, dissatisfaction or gee I wish I were better and I wish I wouldn't lie so much you know why why am I even lying at all um, I would lie uh, on a regular basis not because I got a kick out of it but because it was I was afraid you know um, I was afraid that I would get into trouble or you would yell at me you know, if I made a mistake at worse, I, excuse me, if I made a mistake at work, I was terrified of admitting it because what would happen? I thought I'd get fired. So I would uh, elaborate, embellish, rationalize, do anything I could to get out of just being totally truthful and honest. And it caused a lot of um, discomfort. It's not fun to live in that web of deceit. I didn't call it a web of deceit, but that's what it was. Looking back on it, it certainly was, uh, you know, creating scenarios that you have to then um, live, live into. So I, if, I were, if I were looking at myself 30 years ago, I would say, maybe we want to work on truthfulness. You know, so that's, that was causing suffering. So that's where I move into. That's kind of how we work with these qualities, um, bring them into a lens. Um, you know, uh, generosity is an antidote to greed. So, uh, and craving and clinging, um, letting go renunciation is also an antidote to greed and craving and clinging. So practicing, you know, renunciation is not about doing something to be a good person, but it's about recognizing that holding on causes if holding on causes suffering letting go leads to the end of suffering so we want to examine our behaviors to see if it takes us towards suffering or away from suffering it takes us towards dissatisfaction or away from dissatisfaction towards satisfaction and ease so it's really really um important to pay attention always and one of the paramis is equanimity which is what we were doing in the meditation and that's the ability to greet whatever arises with this balance with this appropriate response um, we're not blown over by 
what shows up. We're not blown away by um, anything. I mean, we feel it. We might, we might experience the emotions that go along with whatever experiences. You know, we have grief when there's loss and um, so on and so forth, but we're not entangled it or entangled in it or as Tara Brock says entranced by it we're you know lost in this trance of delusion and thinking x y or z there's a um, a freedom that comes when we can sit with equanimity that's the root of an undefended heart you know we don't have to defend ourselves against anything we can just be I mentioned that I my first intention setting was back in 2005 or 2006. I think it was 2005. And um, I hadn't done any thinking about what I wanted my intention to be. I just kind of wanted it to be spontaneous. I actually didn't even know what to expect. So I didn't think I, I didn't even think about thinking about an intention. And so when I was there, um, there was a meditation that was led, and what came up for me was this intention to be compassionate to all beings, including myself. And it was really a surprise, because I don't think the word compassion was in my vocabulary, especially not towards myself. And um, I think I know where it came from, because I had spent the prior year reading and working with Sharon Salzberg's book, A Loving Kindness. So I had been imbued with the practice of metta, loving kindness for self, compassion for self. Um, but I didn't carry it around with me on a regular basis, but it had been in there. So when this intention came up to be compassionate, I said, okay, how does that work? And so um, when I would go through my day, if um, I found myself being um, berating myself in my head or um, being self-critical in some way, shape, or form, and I could be really nasty or harsh, I had to stop and say, that's not compassionate, you know? And I don't even, didn't even know what it meant sometimes to be compassionate. If it's not in your vocabulary, it's like, what does it even feel like? And so this is not about getting something overnight, but instead it's about, wait a minute, this is where I'm not being compassionate. This is, this, this kind of language, this kind of thought, this kind of whatever is getting in the way of compassion how do I let go of that? How do I get rid of it? Or how to make, make room for different behaviors? So it's moving in a different direction. It's not, you know, accomplishing a goal by February 17th. Instead, it's, it's changing our lives to move in a different direction. That's beneficial. That takes us away from discomfort and suffering for ourselves. And then as a, you know, the more we can be compassionate for ourselves, the more we can be compassionate with others. So it is a practice for the benefit of all. As we develop this clarity and this kindness and this awareness for ourselves, we develop it and hold others in the same light. Um, when we begin to... Um, develop this clarity, this wisdom, which is another one of the paramis, we can really see, um, begin to see what gets in the way. Um, 
And it's this continual training ourselves to be more aware. And that's what we do when we practice. Oh, I'm caught up in that thought again. I'm caught up in that thought again. I'm caught up in that thought again. And this brings up another one of the paramis, which is patience. As I said, this is not like, okay, I'm going to do this and accomplish this by February 17th. It's a gradual movement towards, so it's going to take time. Um, we want instant gratification. I always call it the microwave miracle. I want it now. Give me three steps. Give me five steps. Give me seven steps. Give me 12 steps. You can find books with all of those things seven steps to be highly effective people or whatever it is and if you get it down and you do all the exercises in the book you'll have a money-back guarantee and you'll be a better person and you will live happily ever after but it doesn't always work that way um, as I'm sure you all know okay I, one of my favorite 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 um, stories around this Matthew maybe you were in this class I don't know but I I facilitate a year to live group pretty regularly and we usually build an uh, an altar in the class where people bring in something meaningful for them so we have a class altar and one year this woman came in with two or three shopping bags full of self-help books and she put them on the altar and she said I'm done with them because she had read all these five ways to do this and 10 ways to do this. And, and none of them worked. It's like you read it and it's like, eh, because it's not, it's, it's, it's attacking from the outside rather than really being wise and sitting with and saying, what's meaningful for me right now? Patience is a problem. Truthfulness is a difficulty. Um, you know, uh, compassion equanimity, loving kindness, all of those things. It's, it's a very different lens with which to set an intention to move forward. Another a very important uh, one of the paramis is sila or ethical behavior, living with integrity. And that teaching is contained within the Eightfold Path. There's a whole section of the Eightfold Path on ethical behavior, not, not killing, not causing harm to another or ourselves. We've got to keep ourselves in this. Being wise and truthful with our speech. There's truthfulness in there. I mean, they all kind of go together and support each other. Um, being careful with our sexuality. Um, not taking what's not offered. Not ingesting anything that leads to mindlessness. Thich Nhat Hanh expands it. Um, traditionally, it's drugs and alcohol, but Thich Nhat Hanh expands it to what are you ingesting? What are you reading? What are you hearing? What are you listening to that causes confusion that, that is harmful? And to be cautious about that and, and practice some letting go, renunciation around the things that do cause harm. And how do you move through the world wisely? Bringing these things in. This is the foundation that we set up for ourselves. So it's not out there. It's, it's with us. It's, it's this deep, deep, deep foundation. This, um, yeah, that's the word that's coming for me. It's this, this core that's there that we're chipping away all the crap, all the, the stuff we've been told and taught, the condition to believe, and instead um, allow ourselves to find a truer path that's, that's wise and skillful and, and liberatory both for ourselves and for others. 
And so just briefly, I want to go over the, the paramis again and, and maybe listen as I talk to them and see which, which um, resonate with you because not all of them resonate with all of us. And I, one point I want to make, there's a, there's a series of um, tales called the Jataka tales, which are later um, addition to, it's not included in the Pali canon. And they're fables and they're supposed to be about the Buddha's lives before he took birth as Siddhartha Gautama. And there are over 500 of them, 500 Jataka tales. And each of them are a, supposed to be a parable about how he developed these qualities. So that's a shorthand way of saying it takes a long time. Because if each of those tales was a lifetime, that's a long time. So it's just like, don't expect this to um, happen overnight. So there's patience and compassion for ourselves as we move through this because we all are deeply conditioned, deeply impacted by the world we live in. And it takes time to extricate ourselves from this and to see more clearly where we struggle and where we cause harm. And so um, see which one of these resonate or if any of these resonate. Generosity, which is an antidote to greed. It's not just about financial generosity, but it's about generosity of time. It's about generosity of love, generosity of presence, generosity of spirit. How, are we, how can we be generous and where do we cling? Where do we, where do we hold on? Morality and virtue, sila, ha, living with integrity making that uh, a point of our lives. It's a gift to others when we live with integrity because we make it safe for them to be around us or we provide an avenue for folks to begin to feel safe around us because we're not going to cause harm. Renunciation, which is letting go. It's not martyrdom. It's about seeing where we're stuck, seeing where we're, we're suffering, and being willing to let go of what causes suffering so that we move to a place of, of not suffering. Wisdom, seeing clearly that things are impermanent, that there is discomfort. Not if we do it right, it'll be perfect. It's that we all experience the human condition and that we're all conditioned beings. Energy, you know, recognizing when we are caught up in that uh, energy or effort, recognizing when we're caught up in the, in the mind, the fixed views, the, the unwholesome thoughts, and being willing to let them go and cultivate, being willing to spend the time, no, that doesn't serve, I'm going to let it go and come back, I'm going to come back to now. It's really, the, the, the mind can be very seductive and it's so easy to get lost in our ideas of shoulds and coulds and woulds and instead just come back to right here. Patience. Patience. Gil Fransdahl, teacher in Northern California, said, it's easy to be patient when things are going your way. So when things aren't going your way, where's your patience? Truthfulness. This is also part of wise speech. Um, is it true what we're saying? Is it necessary? Is it kind? Is it the right time? Really important to, to have that integrity of speech. So important, because we can cause so much harm otherwise. Determination. Staying with, the staying the course, 
in spite of the messiness of life. Loving kindness. We open our heart. We see everyone is in the same boat and we wish everyone well. It's this unconditional love that is so important. In the Metta Sutta, the Buddha says, we wish everyone goodwill, omitting none. Everyone, omitting none. And then equanimity is this wise response to whatever happens, this ease that we, that we have uh, in the world. And I think when we develop all these different qualities, it just, it just leads to loving kindness. It leads to equanimity. So these kind, they support each other. And um, setting the intention to move in this direction is important because the, in the Dhammapada, which is uh, some of the collections of the Buddha's teachings, the first two talk about the importance of the mind. The mind precedes all our thinking. And if a person with a, um, unwise thoughts, if a person with an unwise mind or an unwholesome mind speaks or acts, suffering follows them like a wheel that follows the foot of an ox. On the other hand, if a person with a, with a wholesome mind or a wise mind speaks or acts, happiness follows like his never departing shadow. So mind follows mind. Where we set our intention, that's the direction we move in. And my friend Kevin Griffin says, intention gives clarity, direction, and resolve on the path. With right intention, we are never entirely lost, no matter how much we stray. Right intention guides us back to ourselves and the values of kindness and wisdom. And then my favorite, favorite, favorite saying about intention is intention leads to action and action leads to habit and habit leads to character and character leads to destiny. So how we move our minds, setting an intention to be wholesome, to be wise, to be loving, using these paramis as a, um, as a container as a way to give some guidance, I think, is really helpful, really beneficial. And I invite you as we move into this new year to maybe reflect on some of these and, and what are, what are uh, some that can be beneficial for you or um, now or later or just kind of chew on them for a while. So thank you so much uh, for your attention, my friends. I hope this has been of some benefit. Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.